1: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Laura. And this week we are tiptoeing across this. Uh, poorly planned age line from Dumbledore In the <laughs> hopes of achieving eternal glory Micah isn't here this week But to help us with today's discussion We're very excited about this week's guest James Durbin Hi James, welcome to MuggleCast Hi
2: everybody Long time listeners Second time caller Ooh, Second time. I, left an awkward, I think I left an awkward message once on the uh, answering machine. Oh, We okay, can check cool. that. We can we, yes. we have ways <laughs> of
3: verifying.
2: <laughs> I'm, I don't I cannot confirm if I was sober or not. So oh, okay. Well, okay, now we have now to Now we that. have to. <laughs> we have yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There may or may not have been crying. Yeah. <laughs> you,
0: you wouldn't be the first.
2: Okay. <laughs> I, be- I believe that. What Laura is referencing,
3: and she's too polite to say, is I have called the hotline a number of times and cried. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love us so much. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I think Eric's voice is on the voicemail phone line. Oh, so oh my, you just, I, I, we've recorded
3: that like 15 years ago
1: so you call to listen to yourself and then cry to tell yourself how amazing you are okay. listen, we all got to get our affirmations somehow
2: well James tell us about yourself you're actually a musician right yeah I'm a musician artist singer voice actor I've done voice work with Disney and Amazon I'm the voice inside of the Jingle All the Way Turbo Man reissue from Funko. What? It's Turbo Time.
0: <laughs> that oh is my so cool. God,
2: I've been—I uh, was on American Idol in 2011, season 10, on Fox, and uh, for the past 13 years, I've been just doing music and personal endeavors to, uh, as a, you know, a career, support my wife and our three kids and all that. And I've been a lifelong Harry Potter fan and been listening to Mugglecast for like the last six years.
1: That's awesome. We're so glad you found us. And I was like, whoa, wait, James, because I used to watch American Idol and I probably watched the season that you were on. So like when you started DMing us on Instagram, and stuff, I was like, well, that's really cool. But uh, congrats on all your success. You clearly have a lot going on. On and your sixth studio album is
2: actually out now. It just came out, right? It just came out. Tell us about it. What's it called? The album is called Screaming Steel. As an artist, like I, I'll put it this way: my last James Durbin solo album was an Americana album. So, like, I just love music, and I'll especially get on these kicks where I want to just try something new. I want to do something different. I want to challenge myself and do something I've always wanted to do. So, at the start of the, just before the Uh, the pandemic, I wrote 100% of an album called The Beast Awakens, um, which was kind of classic traditional heavy metal in the style of like Judas Priest and Ronnie James Dio, Iron Maiden. So my record label that I'm with, Frontiers Records, they wanted a second. So pretty much over the past year, I've been writing this and um, it's just a great way, like traditional heavy metal, heavy metal in general, is just such like the avenue for singing about all of your nerdy fandoms and yeah. like subcultures that you love. Like I've got all this Star Wars and wrestling and The Lost Boys and like Stranger Things, all this like this is my nerd cape. So, <laughs> and Harry Potter especially, like Harry Potter is up here and then I also have an entire cupboard under the stairs full of my Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> but I've got the books and the Lego sets and all the all the things and the uh, of course, the other wand. So, nice. Very cool. Well, you came prepared. Speaking, of this. It's a segue. Yeah.
1: yeah, (laughs) Speaking of these passions. So one of the songs on your new album is called Hallows and inspired by Harry Potter. So tell us
2: about that. Yeah. Hallows is kind of like a, it's like a montage song. Like if like, if you had like an eighties action movie and it's like a training montage, but imagine it's just like Harry going from the cupboard to Dumbledore's army to you know, dying and then resurrecting and, and defeating Voldemort. It's just kind of like you could play it during that montage. So um, there's a lot of Easter eggs, and the author's works are just so varied and so beautiful, and it's amazing. It's a it's just this, and you guys know, I mean, you've been doing this for so long. So, like, yeah. and still find things to love and appreciate and to dig into and to dive into and to Dissect, and it's so inspiring listening to MuggleCast. Also, like for that, for as a songwriter, you think about different things, especially a songwriter trying to write uh, wizard metal, which is like this little part of me just wishes it was like 2004 again, and yeah, and I was a little older, and I had the resources and the name and the, you know, the the um, the visibility to, uh, you know, actually be performing wizard metal for a bunch of nerds and like a <laughs> in you a still rogue. can so. you yeah. still, still
3: groups. can there's still <laughs> conventions there's still things that you can get behind and do that especially like Ten years
1: ago there w- wizard rock was pretty popular. And it's still there's still some Wizard Rock artists. I actually have two Wizard Rock singles. I'll have to send them to you after the show. Um, they're not good, but maybe I can get some feedback on how to improve. Okay, definitely.
2: don't let it be July,
3: I'm thinking of. Yes.
1: Your lyrics in this song Hallows are beautiful. Um, thank you, and they're really fun. Not only is the song great to listen to, but also just very fun to to read the lyrics as a Harry Potter fan and being like, "Ooh, I
2: get what he's referencing there." Yeah, thank you, I appreciate it. They were fun to write. It's uh, and it's not the only Harry Potter inspired song on the album. Uh, the other one is track number three, which is called "Where They Stand," which is about. Um, Death Eaters, um, h- hiding, ah, cool. basically hiding and, you know, leaving a uh, Voldemort side and how, uh, where they stand is only where they ran for cover. So,
3: Ooh. Ooh, man, when I was listening to Hallows, the only thing I could say afterwards was like, it's so metal, which is such an easy <laughs> catch all, but like it, it is so hardcore metal, man. I am blown away. I mean, between this song Hallows, which appeals to everything that we do on this show, And you're being the voice of Turbo Man. (laughs) I am really, really, really fanboying hard. I gotta say, you've won me completely over. Thank you. Listeners, we'll
1: have a link to the album and the song Hallows. There's a music video for it in the show notes. So definitely check that out. James, last but not least, let's get your fandom ID like we do for all guests of Michael Guest.
2: Favorite book is favorite book and movie are Sorcerer's Stone. I can just, I literally like can close my eyes. I can do it with my eyes open too, but I prefer to close my eyes. And I can remember being that 11-year-old kid. I was like, I don't know, I got out of the, a different movie and there was something going on at the bookstore right next to the movie theater and realized that it was like a Harry Potter book release. And I think it would have been when the first movie was out, it would have been, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban would have been out by that point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I ran home. I put on a bathrobe and grabbed a stick off the tree and rode my bike back over to the bookstore and was like, here I am. Here are all my people. So um, so definitely the first one.
0: That's beautiful.
2: And then Hogwarts house. I was a hat stall between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. (gasps) Hell Um, yeah. I I chose to be uh, Ravenclaw or I accepted Ravenclaw for a minute just because it seemed like that's what all the cool kids were doing. (laughs) And then it was like, oh, these. uh, No, thank you. So I'm. (laughs) Green, green light, I am a, I am a Slytherin. In order to succeed at <laughs> uh, in, at metal, you were like, I need to embrace the darkness. <laughs> right. I needed to be ambitious and realize that, it. Uh, yeah, my intentions, I got my intentions in order and uh, have been manifesting my intentions and that requires ambition. And then let's see, uh, Ilvermorny House, when that was a thing, I think it was Pukwudgie, Wand, I don't remember, Alder maybe. And then my uh, Patronus is a raven. Okay. Ooh, Raven and uh, almost Ravenclaw. That's very metal.
1: All right. Well, thanks again, James. And now let's get to chapter by chapter. And like I said, this week we are discussing Goblet of Fire, Chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire. And we'll start like we always do with our seven-word summary. James has been a listener, so he knows what he's gotten himself into here. And you get the first word, James. So here we go. Polyakov. Oh, God, I don't even know how to spell that.
0: (laughs) Oh, shoot. Uh, Once. Eternal.
2: (laughs) Wine. (laughs) Because. Crumb. Is better.
3: (laughs) That's eight word summary. But you know what? Didn't we do a five word summary the other day? So this is fine. Because crumbs better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. There we
2: go. Or
0: or just because crumb.
1: I was hoping for because crumb thirsty. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, good times.
0: Well, <laughs> so
3: this is basically so this is the 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 um eponymous uh title uh, chapter title that has the the t- same title of the book. There's one in most Harry Potter books. But as a matter of sort of fact and reviewing the events that happen, there's no really big two main things. Essentially, this chapter is building up to Harry's name being pulled from the Goblet of Fire, which is obviously a really huge moment. Um, so I thought I'd break it down and kind of talk about some of the smaller things that do happen in this chapter. And the first one that comes to mind, because at the end of last chapter, there was Dermstrang and Bobaton coming to Hogwarts, um, is really just about the cultural differences that we see. And, you know, the Hogwarts is playing host to these foreign schools. We see it in a change of cuisine, what's available in the Great Hall because they go straight up to dinner. And the first matter of business, apparently something that has not been figured out prior to this moment, is where the Bobaton students and the Dermstrang students are going to sit in the Great Hall. They are not given their own table, even though there would probably be room for them. And Ron has this moment where he's trying to like Harry move aside and he's trying to get Victor Crumb to sit next to him because he's fanboying really hard. But in the end, uh, the Durmstrang students all seem to go with Slytherin. And the Bobaton students all seem to go with Ravenclaw.
0: Yeah, I was kind of wondering if. Any of the Slytherin and Durmstrang students might actually know each other. I mean, given the fact, especially at this point in storytelling in the wizarding world where the vibe is very much Slytherin bad, (laughs) Gryffindor good, all Slytherins are evil, we know a lot of these kids' parents were Death Eaters involved with Voldemort. The same has to be true for the Durmstrang students. So I would imagine their parents have maintained touch over time, and a lot of these kids have maybe met each other before.
1: Yeah, how dad? often? How often could they see each other though? Probably not often at all, right? Because they're over in Bulgaria. Well, and I'm consulting Google Maps right now. It looks quite far away from Scotland. Not for
0: wizards. Not yeah, when you have a ship. Not really. <laughs> an, not an object, you know. They can use sci- the flu I mean, yeah, 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 exactly. network. They can use side along apparition. Yeah, yeah, halfway. They can it's do the uh, the uninvited um FaceTime flu network. <laughs>
1: I would say at the least they're aware of the types of vibes that Slytherin gives off and they might feel most attracted to them,
3: especially to your point, thinking about Death Eaters and Karkaroff. Yeah, there's definitely that dark association between those schools. And then, you know, for Beauxbatons, it's not necessarily like those students aren't Ravenclaw-ish. They seem to me to be pretty... I, I would say reserved in a generous way. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that does fit uh, the qualities of Ravenclaw which as stated or that they value learning. Uh and they and and you know there are other cultural things we'll get to about the Boboton kids that we see in this chapter but for the most part I think that that's actually also pretty much a fit. If I had to put all the students from this other school at another table it would probably be Boboton to Ravenclaw and Durmstrang to Slytherin but it doesn't seem well thought out, like planned in advance. So why is that? Yeah, well, I feel like they should have made the
1: students sit at all four tables as a way to get the students meeting everybody. Kind of like an icebreaker. That's ice such a breaker. good idea. Because otherwise, they're just going to be clicky the rest of the time that they're at Hogwarts. Now, they're going to like... Durmstrang's going to just hang with the Slytherins the rest of the time, and Bobaton are just going to hang with the Ravenclaws the rest of the time. They connected with people over dinner, that's it. If you disperse them all, then they'd all intermingle through the rest of the Triwizard Tournament.
0: Nah, these are teenagers that are experiencing a lot of culture shock of each other. It's not just... Bobaton and Durmstrang, the Hogwarts students, are experiencing culture shock, too. And they're competing against each other. And there really hasn't been space made for the visiting students in the school at all. The Durmstrang students are sleeping on their boat and the Bobaton students are sleeping in their freaking carriage all year, (laughs) by the way.
3: Welcome to Hogwarts, but, but don't sleep at Hogwarts. With respect, you don't know how comfy it is in that carriage. It could be like the Weasley's tent. Right it could it's like, be
0: it's like the TARDIS
2: the lap of luxury
3: <laughs> swimming pools and squash courts
2: it seems like they would you know integrate them or give them their own table I know space is limited in the great hall uh, unless you play Hogwarts Legacy then there's plenty of freaking room in there so you know See? You slide in another table just yep. get filch on it <laughs> yeah. um, and uh I'd love to I just love the image of filch just like pushing tables <laughs> all by himself <laughs> You just imagine like the, the sound it's just like <laughs> Norris, get over here. <laughs> I couldn't recreate out. it. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, but yeah, you'd think that they would integrate. But I mean, thinking a little bit forward, even like Fleur gets up and goes and tries to grab, you know, whatever food it is from Ron. So, <laughs> which is so funny. I think they're, they're, yeah, they're doing stuff. You know, they're uh, they're not super static, but yeah, they should have should have been a little bit more uh, integration, maybe. Yeah, I just think for the the value that
3: was added, like we had a few exchange students, like foreign exchange students in high school throughout the years. Mm. And, you know, apart, it couldn't have been easy for them being like the everyone's attention went on them because they're like from a different country. But I know that we all seem to be like a little bit slightly more culturally well-rounded after having gotten to know the people. Um, And it seems like if they are stuck at the Slytherin table or the Ravenclaw table, like we already know that the houses pretty much keep to their own house in the Great Mm -hmm. Hall. So it just seems like there's not a lot of good opportunity. And at this point, moving on to the food, you mentioned this, James, Booyah Base is served and Ron is just looking at it. The quote from the book is there's a greater variety of dishes in front of them than Harry had ever seen, including several. That were definitely foreign what's that said ron pointing at a large dish of some sort of shellfish stew that stood beside a large steak and kidney pudding and then hermione tells him what it is and he says bless you and she says <laughs> it's french i had it on holiday it's very nice and ron said i'll take your word for it helping himself instead to black pudding which by the way black pudding if you look at what's in it it is worse than booty base yeah but, <laughs> but what is this whole experience where on the one hand, I think, you know, the elves, it said they outdid themselves. They want to make the foreign visitors feel at home, but there was not an attempt. I think there's a missed opportunity to also diversify the Hogwarts student's Cultural palates, like like encouraging them to try these foreign dishes. I know it's still night one, but for me, I grew up very sheltered. Like I would go to the China buffet with my family and get the chicken wings, like every <laughs> time. And <laughs> that, that's not one of my family me members was like, You're not culturally. I know Micah's story on the recent bonus, like really resonated because I never tried like Patsy or any kind of noodle thing, nothing, nothing foreign at all until I was like 22. And I just feel like, you know, especially Europe being the huge melting pot that it is before this year, but especially now, Hogwarts should really be trying to educate these kids culturally because some of these dishes are fabulous. Mm hmm.
1: Well, and you also think about how many meals they'll be eating over the course of their time at Hogwarts because of the Triwizard Tournament. There's plenty of time to shake up the menu and keep it focused on particular countries, uh, you know, have something from Bulgaria, have something from France, uh, have something from Scotland to introduce to Durmstrang and Beauxbatons. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't see why it had to be like this hodgepodge on night one. It should have just been a specific theme.
0: When you said Andrew introducing Scottish cuisine, I immediately thought of haggis. It was like, yes, intru- <laughs> introduce the foreign exchange students to haggis. Yeah,
3: maybe not the <laughs> best options with with peace and love, but force them, force them to have all this fatty British food that comes from <laughs> animal parts.
0: Well, and I'm glad you bring that up, Eric, because I seem to recall that later on in the book, Fleur is like, I'm not going to fit into my dress robes. All these Hogwarts food is so heavy. And I'm like, it, so do they? Do they fall off the routine after night one? They're like, oh okay, we gosh. we did the niceties of serving dishes that you'd be familiar with, and we're not going to do that ever again.
3: Man, we're not paying the house elves enough to keep doing special dishes for the extra forty students. I'm telling you, we're not paying them at all.
0: <laughs> we're not paying
3: them at all. Um, yeah, honestly, you know, to this end, I wanted to ask because, like, it's nice to make the students feel at home, but. Because I've at least once uh, grown into a lover of foreign cuisines, Um, I've tried Ethiopian. I've tried, I mean, I'm not going to list, but what are some of our favorite foods that we like definitely wouldn't have tried as children? But I know we've like traveled as we've grown up. Do we all have something that like we really love or is our go to that we just never would have dreamed of when we were school children? Well, even today my palate is
1: still that of like an 8-year-old, so I can't say I've expanded <laughs> too much. Fingers. But I also yeah. haven't traveled abroad too much. Um but like in England I'll eat fish and chips, that counts for something, right? <laughs>
0: No, it no. doesn't. No, Andrew.
1: Well, I don't eat fish over here, so it's a big deal when I eat it over there.
3: Oh.
0: Oh dear Oh Andrew.
3: Sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> um I have had a number of like uh just this week Indian food, uh chicken tiki masala. Uh, oh, and yeah. you know, it's just different ways of doing chicken or di- or curries or different spices with you know the same foods that I know and love. Like it's still chicken, it's just different. And pho, if you guys have ever had pho,
0: oh yeah, I oh love it's pho. so
3: delicious. And on a cold night, it's the most perfect tonic for mm. however which way you're feeling. And I just I ended up loving and pad Thai. You know, there's so many yeah. other wonderful oh, yeah. dishes that I just never tried.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm so excited now because when we go to podcast movement in D.C. in August, we have to go out for a ton of different amazing foreign foods because D.C. has an amazing food scene. Eric, I would love to introduce you to some other varieties like Ethiopian food. Just based on what you're describing here, I feel like you would really like it. So let's you guys do have it. fun.
1: I'll be at Taco Bell trying out their new menu. Did you hear oh, about their new menu? Boring. <laughs> I
0: did hear about the new menu with their Baja Blast Pie. No.
2: Ew. Yeah. Ew. And they, they're doing their own Choco Taco now. Well that that I that I accept. <laughs> I totally sh- I totally ship a chocolate taco. Yeah. James, what
3: are your what are some of your favorite non-American dishes?
2: Well, I've I've always been very much, I mean, like you, Eric, and, and you, Andrew, as well. Like just First off, reserved like ult like to like a scary degree, Um and so <laughs> the first thing I could think of when Laura was saying about taking you guys somewhere in DC, I was like, yeah, we'll swing by the uh, the drive through, get Andrew a nice happy meal, <laughs> <Yeah>. some nuggies, <laughs> yeah, some nuggies, some candies, some nuggies. Some tandies. In defense of Ron,
1: going with the pudding. Sometimes you just want to stick with what's familiar. Maybe you don't want to think too hard about it. You don't want to try something new. So you you stick with the pudding. But it was also setting up when Flora comes over and asks about the
3: about the dish, the bula, yeah. bula bees? I I honestly respect <laughs> you for not trying. Uh, after <laughs> the last way year's What you said it was political. very good. <laughs> yeah, bu- bu-ia base, bu-ia base.
1: It's funny when Ron pretends that he did end up eating it, and he yeah. really
3: didn't. But he wants to impress her. I did, you know. I think we could all benefit from our mind being opened a little bit more, especially yeah. because food food tells a story, and the experience of this is why such a culture has come up around food to begin with. If you think about it, food is just something we do because we have to eat because we have to live. But the culture and the way in which we all like talk about it and think about it is so worldly, like. All they need is a good dish that everyone could agree on. That's not pizza. And, you know, I think I think you'll have it in one year. You'll have solved the death eaters by being like, no, we're going to get together and just chat over food.
0: <laughs> Break bread All of our problems
2: are solved. Sushi for everyone. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Except she's mine. I don't really do sushi. OK, sushi's your hobby. There you go. OK. Yeah. Last night, last night I had a, a nice large. Uh, (laughs) unfortunately expensive uh, sushi dinner for for my album pre-release party. Oh, Oh, okay. Sushi is the way to go. And that's only like four rolls and some pho. It's egg roll time. (laughs) 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 But yeah, that's awesome. It's tempura time. There you go. (laughs) There you go. There it is.
0: I love that. I was really fortunate in that I grew up in a pretty diverse community and my parents are also adventurous eaters. So I grew up eating all kinds of different foods. And one that I did try as a kid that I don't think I would have tried when I was older was lengua de vaca, which is cow tongue. And I think I only tried it as a kid because one, I didn't quite know what it was and I didn't speak Spanish at the time, so I really didn't understand. Um, and it it just looked like stew or like some kind of like beef, right? Which I guess technically it is. It looks like pot roast. Yeah, it definitely does. And it was actually really good. But I think if somebody had presented that to me when I was like 15 and told me what it was, I don't think I would have been adventurous enough to try it. Um, yeah, I've been it is good, but I've been pescatarian for like almost 10 years at this point. So it's been a while, but I remember it being really good.
3: I will say anytime I go to like an authentic Mexican place, I get the lingua burrito it's oh, absolutely absolutely so delicious good. so i'm a hundred percent on board really? with what you're saying yeah lingua wow. you try it it's just amazing
0: it's fantastic
3: we'll talk about the respect that madame maxime receives
1: from students and how it compares to how things at hogwarts are run but first we have a quick break we'll flew right back
3: So I mentioned other cultural differences or other signs of cultural differences. Namely, the biggest one I can think of in addition to the food is that the Beauxbatons students, when Madame Maxime enters and sits at the head table, they rise. They stand up. All rise. They all rise. They're not prompted. They stand up. Madame Maxime comes in. She chats with Haggard a little bit. She sits down. They sit down. And I think that this is not culty i think it's like <laughs> discipline it shows respect i think yeah. the hogwarts students who are laughing think it's culty but for me it represents a sort of formal like formal education that i think is something to be aspired to to me that that level of of self control that those students show representing their school they get laughed at for it
1: yeah i also think it just speaks to how you know, you see this dichotomy between the loosey goosiness of Hogwarts. How it's just a, it's just a, it's a circus at the school every day. But this just seems to tell me, right off the bat, that things are run a lot more strictly at that school. Would you catch a Peeves running around Bobaton? I don't think so. I, I, I think yeah. she garners a lot of respect and rules with an iron fist, and that's how it should be at Hogwarts.
0: It definitely feels reminiscent of a classical education and the kinds of behaviors you would expect there um back when I used to teach, and this is in a completely other life um i I worked at a grade school for a period of time. It was a private school, and the founder was French, so she really modeled the school after the French curriculum that she recognized from her own upbringing and from her, you know, raising her own children in French schools. And I will say the the vibe in that kind of environment is quite a bit more formal. So at least based on that experience, this makes sense to me.
3: Moving on, um, one thing in particular that s- struck me uh, while reading this chapter is Igor Karkarov and specifically his very apparent, very transparent love and preference for Victor, uh, Victor Crumb. They are shown walking side by side, huddled together most of the time. And following dinner, uh, Igor Karkaroff goes over to Victor and says, Have you eaten enough? You know, have you had some wine? Oh, I can boy. have the house obsidian. <laughs> yes, he just really lays it on thick. And here's my question. The champions were not chosen prior to this moment. Both of these other European students have brought their, like, or both of these European schools have brought 20 of their best students, 20. It is very clear to me who Karkaroff wants to be <laughs> the Durmstrang champion. And is that fair to the other 20 students, including no! That No, of course not. That disgusting boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> no, it and it makes me wonder if... Karkaroff feels that by giving Crumb like a boost of confidence, by paying a lot of attention to him, checking in on him, etc., on the grounds of Hogwarts near the goblet, I'm wondering if this is his way of trying to motivate the goblet in some way to select Crumb as Durmstrang's champion. That's interesting. We don't know how the goblet works, so I'm completely taking a, a guess here. But the only thing that makes me like excited about this idea is that it's mentioned at one point in this chapter that the goblet sits exactly where the sorting hat normally does and that just kind of put in my head how the sorting hat pays attention to your thoughts Mm -hmm. and and needs and so i'm just thinking maybe there's something there with the goblet detecting like who who's more most confident who can who can take this on
3: Best from Durmstrang. So if the Goblin of Fire sees that Crumb has
2: friends in, <laughs> in, in Karkarov, he's gonna be like, oh, I want to choose him. Friends and wine. Have we considered that maybe the 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 item with the magical properties? Because if it activates the sorting hat and it activates the goblin of fire, it has to be the the default wooden stool. It's the it's the stool.
3: It all comes back to the stool. It's the stool. <laughs> it's had so many butts on it Ugh. that it no, it's really warmed to everyone. All, all rise butts. for the stool. That should
1: get people standing up when it enters. <laughs> Forget Tumbledore It's the Madame Maxime of Hogwarts. The stool.
2: Yeah. Well, like, it Carcroft <laughs> kind of reminds me of like a hype man for like a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, get my get my man some wine. My man, my man, hadn't had to have enough wine. It's like Little John comes out with like his little like. As chalice, you know, giving him like a, a neck massage,
1: like it's I'm thinking a, of, like yeah, it's a wrestler's coach, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah.
3: It's just it's just funny because like he's not offering any of the other students wine, and when Puligov like asks, says like, Professor, I would like some wine. He's like, no, and I see you've dribbled uh, uh food down your front, you disgusting boy. <laughs> and it's like. That was way extra. That was so absolutely, utterly uncalled for and extra. That's why it made the quizzes question. This is like, wh- I, I, he's still your charge. And in fact, if we're led to believe that you've brought your best, he's one of the twentieth best in this school that probably has a thousand students, and you're calling him a disgusting boy. He repulses you.
2: Yeah, unbelievable. What if what if Polyakov <laughs> is his own son? You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like explains a, uh, everything. it's kind of a Draco Lucia sort of thing. You know, it's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. That's interesting. Going back to the Madame Maxine thing, it's like, she, we just see how they treat their own, you know, their, their flock yeah. in yeah. a way. Like so it's reverence it's or yeah. Disdain. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, do we think also that Karkarov could have been like starstruck by Victor? Like. The idea that maybe Karkaroff doesn't want to be an educator the rest of his career. So if he's nice to Crum,
2: it's his meal ticket. Yes. Mm,
1: yeah, that's interesting. I mean, certainly the fact that um, Crum is a very talented Quidditch player probably goes a long way as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about how, like, teachers can sometimes pick favorite students too if they see a lot of potential in them, or at least they kind of, you know, kind of try to push them further to see them further excel. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's kind of what happening, what's happening here between karkaroff and Crumb.
0: What I love about this is it really highlights the kind of character that Victor Crumb carries. And I say that because at this point we don't know a ton about him, but we see everyone fawning over him all the time, including students, Hermione is scoffing at them And we later come to learn that Victor is actually kind of shy, doesn't really like the attention, doesn't really want the favoritism. And I had included this as an odd and end, but because we're really focusing on this right now, I think there's an interesting distinction to be made between the way Crumb is treated here and the way he reacts to it and the way that Ludo Bagman was treated back after The first wizarding war ended and the kind of favoritism that he was afforded. He essentially uh, was acquitted of charges for passing information to Death Eaters. And the only reason he got off those charges was because the jury was starstruck Mm -hmm. by him. And he played dumb and was like, well, I mean, Rookwood just promised me a job in the ministry. I can't spend the rest of my life getting hit by bludgers. And here we have Crumb, who is also an international Quidditch star, being very humble and demure, and just, you know, not really wanting the attention and not wanting the fanfare. And I think it's so cool that they're both in this space together.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. That's it's a, incredible. It's a great yeah. observation. Yeah, that's why I love this show. <laughs> that right there,
3: Laura no Theory is safe. Yeah. Soundbite. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. The um, question that I have next is that, you know, Karkaroff has this moment where everybody's about to leave from the feast and Harry, Ron, and Hermione get up. They're walking out. Harry decides, I'm going to let them go first. Karkaroff is like, thank you. Then he walks a few steps, turns back. It's Harry Potter. And we know of Karkaroff's backstory here. We know that he was a Death Eater for Voldemort. He does have a dark mark, which has been painting him lately. but. How weird must it be, you know, when you're going to Hogwarts, you realize you're you're taking your your students on this field trip to Hogwarts where the boy who lived is. I bet he didn't expect to run into Harry so soon, night one, mm-hmm. but here he is staring him in the face. What must be going through Karkaroff's head right now? What if I just did it right here? Right now. What if, what if I just what if I just do it?
1: Voldemort will like me again.
3: The followers will like me again. No one's gonna know.
0: No one's <laughs> every
3: every former Death Eater that bumps into Harry, like Lucius in year two, and everybody else is just like, what if I killed Harry, this little just
1: child, right yeah. now? Yeah, done like,
2: what if I wasn't in a bookstore? What if I wasn't in a school <laughs> right now? I mean,
1: I mean exactly. he's not as bad as Voldemort trying to kill him as a baby. Now
2: he's practically an adult.
1: It's okay to do gay. it now. Oh, yeah, something just funny. dawned on
2: me. I was like, in my head, can you use Avada Kedavra in... Hogwarts, and you can because, you know, uh, Fakey does it um, during his lesson. So it is Mm -hmm. possible. Mm Well, yeah, I mean, he'd get caught very quickly and, and,
1: uh, you know, there actually wouldn't be much doubt about who killed him and he probably wouldn't be able to get away. So there'd be that issue. But I'm thinking in this moment, he, on a more serious note, might Karkaroff might be having flashbacks to his time with Voldemort. Mm. Uh, Like you said, Eric, he was probably surprised that he didn't he didn't expect to see Harry so soon. And he's thinking back to betraying Voldemort and his followers, uh, which he's later killed for in this series. And he might also be looking at Harry and thinking about his dark mark on his arm and how it's been burning, tingling, and putting the pieces together about his future. There's probably a lot running through his mind right now. Mm.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Seems pretty And stunned. also,
0: he's looking at this kid who kind of ended it all for him in a way in terms of being able to live out those, you know, darkest fantasies that he had of being a Death Eater and serving Voldemort. Karkaroff is an opportunist. He didn't uh, come to the side of light because he saw the error in his ways. He gave gave Crouch Senior information because he was locked up in Azkaban for being a Death Eater. So he was desperate. Mm-hmm. So that that doesn't suggest that any of his ideologies have shifted. He's just an opportunist and a coward.
3: I mean, fair enough. But you know who doesn't like people who get out of Azkaban early? <laughs> uh, Barty Crouch Jr., <laughs> who also got out of Azkaban early. So
2: we'll talk yeah. about that. <laughs> like,
3: we'll talk about that like 20 chapters from now. But uh, but yeah, the confrontation is cut short. Because who should come to Harry's rescue but Mad-Eye Fakie? He's like, you got something to say to Potter? If not, you're holding this up, holding up the door, man. In charge and of crowd control at Hogwarts. Hey, stop blocking honestly, the door. Yeah. Let the kids out. It's good that Barty's there. Fakie, it's good that Fakey's there. But the only person who could possibly have enraged Karkaroff more than Harry, uh, internally, if not, is Moody, who is this well-known art or dark wizard catcher and Barty Crouch, who hates him personally. So it's kind of a really delicious uh, confrontation that we know absolutely nothing about when we're reading for the first time.
1: Well, and then you also think about how we learn in a few pages that somebody put Harry's name into the Goblet of Fire, and we I think we're led to believe that it probably was Karkaroff who did it. Because of, I mean, if you read back this chapter after just seeing somebody, somebody put his name in there, You might be very suspicious of Karkaroff at this point. Karkaroff is like a red herring or a misdirect. I was
2: just about to
3: say red herring. Right. Exactly. Karkaroff was only a red herring. (laughs) He's got many layers. Coming up, we'll talk about how flawed the Goblet of Fire
1: itself is. But first, a quick break.
3: We do get to the next morning it's a very exciting night everybody goes back to their dorms and they basically can't sleep just filled with pudding (laughs) just all hyped up it's not spoilers andrew i know if you i don't know if you've looked up black pudding yet but it's not actually pudding it's not pudding in the it's not dessert pudding i'll Mm, say no it's not delicious oh i'm looking at it now it does not look pleasant yeah i'd rather eat taco bell (laughs) but um (laughs) It's funny because they do manage to catch uh, just a few people throughout the next day. It's Saturday. It's it's October 31st. They do catch a few people actually putting their names in the Goblet of Fire. The most famous example of this is, of course, Fred and George Weasley. So we mentioned uh, on opening night on September 1st, (laughs) opening night, the start of school, that Fred and George even then were devising a plan to hoodwink this, quote, impartial judge. They didn't know it was going to be the Goblet of Fire. Sure enough, again, once Dumbledore had told them last night that the age line would be drawn up, they again decided to pursue this plan of aging themselves up only slightly. They only need a few more months. Their birthday is April 1st. And crossing the age line, because if you can get past the age line, presumably the Goblet of Fire will weigh you based on your merits, completely (laughs) not knowing your age. So This is a new development, but it's funny because Fred and George's antics here do correctly predict, lead into, explain how the entire plot happens with Barty Crouch, basically what he does to get Harry's name in there.
1: I just and what cracks me up too is that they're speaking about their plan pretty openly as well. It's not like it's exactly a secret. They're proud of it. They almost don't mind getting caught by faculty. And then of course the age line kicks them away and Dumbledore is even amused
3: by Well Dumbledore's there. He was like right. hiding behind a wall or a column yeah. or something just waiting for the plan. Pretty much.
1: It's fun in games for Dumbledore, too. He's just having a ball, setting up this age line with this beard trick. It's just so flawed, this whole thing, especially with Harry, his name being in there, and then is being forced to compete anyway. And Dumbledore even says something when he's warning the students, something like, if 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 your name comes out, there's no take backsies. But it's like, yeah. how about for people who didn't put their
3: name in? Mm-hmm. It's, Yeah. It's really, really bad. And Dumbledore, meanwhile, I think is too occupied with how smart he is. <laughs> what do you mean? Because of his age line? Because of his age. He just loves like two other students before Fred and George also went in and they're in the hospital wing and he tells them about it. He's just like, this is so fun. Um, but <laughs> it, it's a very glaring error, um, you know, on his part that it literally if anybody be like puts in a name that is not their own. Yeah, it's a problem.
0: It feels like a huge miss when you zoom out to the whole series so far and realize like, wouldn't be uncharacteristic for Voldemort to try to come to Hogwarts Mm. where Harry is. He's already done it (laughs) twice. And now there's this major international event happening at Hogwarts on the heels of the giant Death Eater march at the Quidditch World Cup and Bertha Jorkin's disappearance and all the other signs that we know Dumbledore is aware of at this point. So it does feel like a miss that he wasn't like, hmm, could I see Voldemort trying to use the events of the Triwizard Tournament to get into Hogwarts? <laughs> Maybe. You know,
3: you know why? he Dumbledore doesn't spot. Voldemort's uh, method of turning the Triwizard Tournament into a weapon against students, because it already is a weapon against students.
0: True, (laughs) ultimate cover.
3: It was just as simple as setting up round-the-clock security.
1: The Goblet was only taking submissions for 24 hours. How hard would it have been to have four six-hour shifts or something like that? Oh my god. One professor every six hours watching over it this would not have been difficult to do i mean moody presumably would have been one of the four (laughs) like teachers put in charge of all right all right so just snape he's watching for 24 (laughs) hours you just give him a lot of coffee or the celsius energy drinks and he'll be good to go or
3: dumbledore himself you know at the end of the day like where are the the other people making sure that this is safe and you're right andrew it's only it's only twenty four hours. Or how about a Hogwarts house
1: portrait? Put the, I mean, a lot of them sleep. Maybe that's not a good idea. Uh, well,
2: I yeah, don't. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, how was there no restriction put on the goblet to where right. only only uh, students could put their names in?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it makes me think of the movie when Carrow closes the doors and goes in to where the goblet is. They show a oh, scene yeah, where yeah. he's just going in. To kind of like lead your mind in the opposite direction. But it doesn't necessarily say that Parkeroff was the one to put the name in. I believe Crum put it in of his own accord in the book. Or program the Goblet of Fire
1: to not accept any entries that are from students or anyone. Any, anybody's name who's under age they don't get accepted, period. They don't get drawn. They don't get spit out when it's selection
3: time. It, yeah, it's, it's weird how simultaneously the Goblet of Fire could know enough about you to make you the champion, that it knows enough about your character and presumably whatever it's looking for to choose you, but then also can't be taught to ignore. Like, the, fa- the people who started the Goblet of Fire wanted to kill 14-year-olds. They were fine mm-hmm. with it. Like, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It makes me wonder what the Goblet of Fire was used for before... They started using it for the Triwizard Tournament. It was
2: speed dating. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the pieces came out and you'd be like, okay, so-and-so, you get to meet each other. I was going to say
1: just drinking like fire whiskey, but that's a bit, be- that's a more funny. I mean, it's answer, pretty, that's pretty uh. much what they used the Stanley Cup for uh, <laughs> after the hockey
3: tournaments.
0: But yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It just seems like uh, the Goblet of Fire is a one trick pony to mm-hmm. to the question about well why couldn't it cross reference with say the sorting hat or the the book in the headmaster's office to see okay these are all underage it can't one trick pony it can only determine if you have the grit and the soul to fight to the death and that's all it can do
2: it's old well, tech well it's
0: interesting
2: <sighs> yeah, old <laughs> tech yeah
0: but
3: it's from what we know it's only ever been the tri wizard tournament mm. meaning there never ever should be a fourth Champion, no matter, like it should just know that it shuts off, like it, because we all think it goes to sleep when it's pulled its third, you know, name or whatever. And the addition of a fourth is surprising, but it looks like nobody throughout the years protected against a fourth name being drawn. And, you know, we'll get into this next chapter when we discuss it. But what ended up happening was somebody put Harry's name in under a fourth school that's right so mm-hmm. e- even then ilvermorny was the fourth school by the
1: way this was the first yeah, was gonna, <laughs> ilvermorny. do you
3: think it was do you, yeah do you think it's <laughs> Ilvermorny because harry doesn't even go there yeah. so i don't know what the deal is with that but my point is the goblet of fire then didn't know like was like oh it's another school did they make up a school if it was a real school still that school isn't competing this year there has to have been a way right to hmm. you know well, block I- out and from Dumbledore's view, that should the fact that he came
1: out fourth should be grounds to not include him. Period. End of story. Oops, the goblet just had a little hiccup. It happens. Some of us it we don't know when moment. it's coming. Yeah,
2: senior moment. <laughs> what is the binding contract? Because has has the author
0: We never find n- out. Said
2: anything That's about that? That's the other thing where my personal
3: suspicion is that this is before unfor- unbreakable vows were a thing. And I think that it's probably some of the same magic that goes into like an unbreakable vow. But the crux of this Mm -hmm. is that Harry did not submit his own name. And so you Mm -hmm. cannot be if the intention was never there. The closest Harry gets to entering is somebody asks him. I think it's like. Uh, Dean or Seamus or somebody across the table, hey, wouldn't, you know, if you found out how to do it, would you? And Harry's like, ah, oh, that'd be nice because Joe would love me then. Um, but he doesn't, act, that's way different than actually going up and consenting and putting your thing. And if you didn't do yeah. that, even with the unbreakable vow, you have to hold the other person's wrist and do the spell. Like the magic to me, this seems like an early progenitor of like the unbreakable vow, which we eventually learn about. But it's not well explained because the plot has to happen, and I've said it before. But the author was rushed on this book, so maybe there's mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. just a lot, even in this chapter that goes on, and I'm just like, wow, I wish this like had you know another year of ex of like buildup in the in the writing. To play devil's advocate, though, maybe
1: there is no unbreakable vow or something adjacent to that for the cup, and in a sick way, they're almost making an example out of Harry. By not giving him a pass, this is telling people, "Hey, we don't care that Harry's number four. We don't care that he didn't actually enter his name. Don't y'all forget if your name comes out of that goblet for future Triwizard tournaments, you are competing.
3: <laughs>
2: Warn your grandchildren."
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Dumbledore's voice. I, I told it serves you right. <laughs> Whatever. Nope. Take backsees. That's what I said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Once it hiccups your name, you're in. You're facing a dragon. That's it.
3: Oh my god. So there's because all of that is very heavy uh to think about, there's one light uh point that I'd love to discuss here during our chapter and it is we learned that Rubius Hagrid has a crush and apparently a suit of some kind and a bottle of cologne that somebody should have taken from him and confiscated years ago. Um <laughs> The trio is bored because it's Saturday. They don't have class and the Goblet of Fire thing is happening tonight. So they decide to visit Hagrid. And during this time, they basically spend the afternoon chatting. Who's it going to be? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it just reminded me of like a simpler time when we were all excited about like a cultural event or maybe something even like school related. Who's going to be prom king? Who's going to be, you know, that kind of a thing. What kind of moments does this memory, or you know, get sparked by this kind of discussion that they're having? It it reminds me of like the
1: selection of a new pope, where there's a lot of anticipation, Wait, <laughs> waiting for the pope signal, the pope chimney um wow or james you might appreciate this one waiting for ryan seacrest to announce a winner of american idol or who won who who won that week's competition
2: or who or who got voted off yeah yeah. (laughs) fourth place hey we're on the fourth book it's okay perfect time. hey fourth place is pretty damn good that's really good fourth place out of a, a country full of Hopefuls is uh, is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Or like Halloween, it is Halloween time also, so there's that kind of spirit in the air. Although they're not, you yeah. know, dressing up and trick or treating, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it still is a the great hall is going to be filled with live bats and pumpkins and you know everything. So it it is like a festive time of year. And they haven't visited Hagrid yet, so yeah, that's also I could imagine visiting Hagrid. You never know what you're going to get, but it seems like when they go, they definitely like stay. That's yeah. true, even despite his
3: beef stew. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to see because apparently when Hagrid was voluntold to take care of Madame Maxime's horses uh, and he found out he was up to the challenge, he apparently struck up a conversation with this woman that he dodges out of the hut to meet. And, you know, who knows? Good for them. He's sweet on Madame Maxime, and given that it's just Valentine's Day the other day, I'm feeling the love for these two. Oh,
1: Well, yeah, and you think about how some students, namely Slytherins, will make fun of Hagrid. We've always seen him alone, basically, setting aside Fang. It's nice to see that Hagrid actually can catch feelings for somebody, and that person feels the same way, as we come to learn. Absolutely. It's got to be
2: tough being a giant fish in a in a small pond <laughs> uh, with a, a with a giant, giant crush. Yeah, yeah a half giant,
3: yeah. giant crush. He's got a big heart. More more to love. Yeah, except for house elves, he will not join their cause. Unfortunately, well, it to be it's not their cause. Uh, Hagrid <laughs> refuses flat out to join her hermione's like they're going down to hagrid's and hermione's like we can't go yet i need to get my badges so that hagrid can join spew and then he doesn't and he presents the most compelling argument so far that we have yet seen against spew being a thing what do we think about what does it mean that hagrid doesn't join which part club? of his argument did you find
1: compelling because at one point he says, there's always a weirdo like Dobby who <laughs>
3: enjoys being
1: free. I just love that he said weirdo. I
3: feel like, yeah, he's like, okay, he does blanket erase the possibility that house elves could want to be free. I don't know. I just feel like if you're at Hogwarts for 60 years or 50 years that, that Hagrid has been, you probably do see some house elves every once in a while and like, I don't know. I just think that when he tells Hermione, again, plenty of people have said this, but it doesn't count because Ron's 14. But when Hagrid says they are happy w- serving wizards, I feel like he has the authority to tell Hermione that more yeah. than anybody who's done it before.
0: I think he's doing the same thing that Hermione's doing, just to the opposite extreme, where Hermione mm. is assuming that she knows What exactly freedom would mean to house elves and how they would want it to look. I think he's also assuming just based on his socialization, that this is what they want. I doubt that Hagrid has ever talked to a house elf and been like, hey, so do you do you actually like being a slave? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think that conversation's happened. I think Hagrid has been socialized like everyone else in the wizarding world to just feel like this is normal. So he doesn't question it. But the funny thing about that is people do the exact same sort of stereotyping and broad generalizing about giants, which Hagrid is, Mm. and he suffers the consequences of that in this book. So, yeah. it's just funny. Uh,
1: on one hand, I appreciate Hagrid just being straightforward and speaking his mind and telling Hermione no. But on the other hand, Hermione's a student, only in her 4th year, barely halfway through her career at Hogwarts. Why not support this effort and just sign up just to placate her? I I don't understand why why he wouldn't just do that, just to be a good role model, a good supportive teacher to Hermione who clearly cares about this topic.
3: Hagrid takes his politics very seriously. He never signs a petition unless he 100% believes in it. The only politi- <laughs> the only the only pe- the only petition that he's ever signed was for uh, baby dragons for everybody that Quirrell uh, <laughs> you know kind of floated around a few years ago. So he takes it all very seriously. All right. Well, uh, I think that those were the main elements of this chapter the Goblet of Fire. Let's get into some odds and ends now. Uh, There is one moment where I mentioned earlier, but Harry's um, adoration of Cho Chang. And I have to say for, you know, setting the basis for Ron and Harry's eventual, well, actually quite soon falling out, I just don't think that there is enough grounds for Ron to think that Harry is at all really, really wanting the cup. There's no way Ron can know that Harry is fantasizing about Cho and he never says it out loud that he would want to put his own name in. So I think Ron's insecurity is about to get the best of him in a big way. Yeah. It'd be a big deal if Harry, on the other hand, had answered Dean or Seamus or somebody and be like, yeah, I'd love to, you know, this rule Mm -hmm. sucks. That would be a way for you to be like, oh, Harry found a way. But... It very much isn't that. Yeah. All right. Well, with
1: that, let's move on to MVP of the week. And I have to give it to Ron. He's been really cracking me up lately for yelling, no, when Cedric's name came out of the (laughs) the (laughs) (laughs) goblet. So, Bro, support your school. It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter if it's, I mean, like. If it was Draco, then you scream no. But otherwise, you don't say that. You gotta support him.
3: You are jelly. Oh my God. I love it. Uh, I'm gonna give mine to Hagrid for shooting his shot. You go Hagrid.
0: I'm gonna give mine to Fleur. I'm trying to get my pronunciations better on this. I gotta give it to our girl power champion. And Hermione needs to chill. Hermione's being a little extra at this chapter being, like, super prickly towards uh, the foreign exchange student. She needs to calm down.
2: I was going to give my MVP to the Goblet of Fire itself, (laughs) as it is the name of the book and the name of the chapter, because in the movie it's portrayed as this glorious chalice, but it's actually just a wooden cup. Um, (laughs) So because of that, I'm disqualifying it, and I'm giving it to uh, my MVP, the one true champion, Polyakov. Get that boy some mead. Get that voice in me. You really like that, that guy, dis- that disgusting boy. Get that disgusting <laughs> voice in me. I want to shake his hand.
1: You're right about the <laughs> cup, by the way. I the movie had poisoned my memory. I've forgotten that it's not as sexy in the book as it is in the movie. And what also has like changed my memory of it is I got a goblet of fire from the Noble Collection. I think it was sent to me at one point, and I have it somewhere, but it's beautiful. And then I read in the book, it's like this wooden piece of kind of crap, and I'm just like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's not what mine looks
2: like. No. Anyway. But you know what? It goes to show, fake it till you make it. And you too could be sitting on the magical stool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that was That's the real MVP of, of this week, the stool. That the seems stool. to invoke a lot of magical power to inanimate Uh, objects but anyway Evanesco (laughs) (laughs) wrong stools (laughs) 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 listeners if you have any feedback about today's discussion you can email mugglecast at gmail.com you can also send a voice memo there just like James did many years ago or you can use our phone number, which is one nine two zero three Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We will get to a Muggle Mail episode in the weeks ahead. We have not had one in a while, and we were talking about it the other day. Stay tuned for a Muggle Mail episode. But next week we will have Goblet of Fire, chapter seventeen, the four champions. And now it's time for our weekly trivia game, Quizzage.
3: Last week's quizage question: Which Dermstrang student asks Igor Karkaroff to have some wine? Everybody, let's say it out loud. The correct answer was Polyakov. Oh, yeah,
2: <laughs> there we go. Yay, disgusting boy.
3: Yay, that disgusting boy <laughs> and and newly crowned MVP of the week. Thank you, James. Uh, Unanimously. Correct?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, we sure. all did it.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Correct answers were submitted to us by, oh boy, here we go, Binge McKringle Harry, Bully a base, the new French Vila special, Cameron, Cho Chang's defense attorney, Crookshanks is a Flerkin, Elizabeth K <laughs> Forrest the 11-year-old, I'd date a guy of any height, match me, Muggle Cast, okay. Jiggly Jane, Jen Penn, Katie, Elsie, Lloyd the Kiwi, Nymphagonigal which is a ship name, the <laughs> last wow. week's bonus. Raven Whiteclaw, Robbie, the dribbled food down Poliakoff's robes, the <laughs> old cardigan under someone's bed that Taylor Swift felt like, the sad rejected mold wine crumb was offered, the scissors that the hairdresser lost on the set of the fourth movie, the wandering wheat belt warlock, and finally, you do the Holiakoff Poliakoff and dribble food down your fur coat. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> oh my god. Here is next week's quizage question. What was the birthday present that Mad-Eye Moody received and smashed, thinking that it was a basilisk egg? Oh, sounds like James News. I know. That's on next, uh, next chapter. It gets mentioned, as always, during our read-throughs. I'm going to be working on my name. Yeah, you got to <laughs> figure it out. How about just James Durgan, whose awesome single, Hallows, is out from his new album? That's friggin' metal, man. That's so cool. I submitted as Lord Durbin, but it didn't make
2: it. So I got to be more creative. Oh, oh I'm, it wasn't
3: one of the top 15
2: creative names we got this year. And I'm trying
3: to I'm trying to balance. I'm very sorry. But you're here. You're here in person. And that is the yes. real treat. So Amen. Um, thank you. Yeah. So submit your uh, quiz answers to us on the quiz form on the MuggleCast website. MuggleCast.com slash quiz or click on Quisitch, Uh If you're already on our website, maybe you said it is your homepage. Uh, click on Quizich on the main nav. James, congrats on the release of
1: your new studio album, Screaming Steel, and the Wizard Rock single. What did you, Wizard, you called it Wizard Metal. Wizard Metal. Yeah. yeah. Hallows, and plus you've got the other Harry Potter theme song on there. Um, where else can people find you online? Where they, can they follow you, your website, plug it all?
2: I am uh, on Instagram, James Durbin Official, verified. On Facebook.com slash Durbin Rock, verified. Uh, Twitter was verified, but it's Durbin Rock, and I paying for that. Um, <laughs> uh, JamesDurbinOfficial.com. I'm in like eight different bands and projects. I just played The Sphere uh, like two days ago in Vegas oh. for Salesforce, which was crazy with one of the bands I play with. And I play a lot in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. So check out my socials if you're... Uh, nearby there. And uh, if not, the music's streaming everywhere. Durban Screaming Steel is my latest album. I've got, like I said, it's my sixth solo album. So I've done rock, I've done pop, I've done Americana, I've done kind of punky, classic rock, and now a classic new wave of traditional heavy metal. So amazing! I just love music. I love making music and and enjoy doing it and uh, have fans that enjoy all sorts. So I keep doing it. Well, we're fans of you as well and your work.
1: And I'm definitely going to be spending uh, my day tomorrow listening to your full discography uh, because you're speaking my language here with with some of these uh, genres you're describing. So uh, Mm -hmm. thanks again. And listeners will have links in the show notes. So you can check out James online and uh, his music couple other reminders before we wrap up the show. Check out my Wizard Rocks. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Visit (laughs) MuggleCast.com
2: for transcripts,
1: social media links, our full episode archive, (laughs) our favorite episodes, and to contact us. And if you enjoy MuggleCast and think other Muggle friends would too. Tell your friends about the show, and we'd also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And of course, we couldn't do this show without support from listeners like you. So if you're an Apple podcast user, you can subscribe to MuggleCast Gold, where you'll get two bonus MuggleCast installments every month, plus ad-free and early access to the show. And then on Patreon, you get those things as well, plus our live streams, our planning docs, and new physical gift every year, all kinds of things. So patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can find all of that. All right, that does it for this week's episode. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew.
2: I'm Eric. I'm Laura. And I'm Lord Durbin. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I and I'm Poliakov.
0: <laughs> that that
1: one character <laughs> does he get mentioned again in the entire series? <laughs> Never. No. He's getting a lot of uh, attention. Today.
3: Justice for Poly, Just Justice and wine for Poliakov. <laughs>